Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. It's good to have you with us. This is a podcast that plays the long game, a podcast that, by definition, is looking uh, for a change in the way the world is, and we're trusting in the triune God to accomplish His will in the world. Today we get down to the roots of cultural transformation. Uh, We ask just some of the questions about why do we want to transform culture? Uh, What's the rationale for doing that? What's the godly and faithful approach to that task? Joe Boot is here today, and we also have Nate Wright and Ben Emery from Rebel Alliance Media in studio. And if you're not tracking with Rebel Alliance, you should go and look them up. Rebel Alliance Media, uh, they're all over social media. They're publishing some great podcasts on engaging culture with a biblical worldview. They've got podcasts for your kids. They've got blogs, articles, just a great resource. Uh, They're good friends of ours, and I would encourage exhort and otherwise urge you to go and follow along with what they're doing at the Rebel Alliance. All right, welcome back everybody. Uh, This is the Ezra Institute's podcast for reformational culture. This is a very special um, collaborative episode and I'm really pleased that we've got Nate Wright and Ben Emery here with us uh, at the Institute from Rebel Alliance Media. Uh, and we've also got uh, Joe Boot in studio here. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Good. Happy Good to here. be here. Happy to be on site. Um, yeah, so welcome to it. We're, uh, yeah, we, like you said, Rebel Alliance Media, Ben and I um, actually Interesting, as we're here at the EICC, um, Ben and I kind of got uh, connected because we both read uh, The Mission of God, and uh, and that's really what launched our partnership together, and we've been working at Rebel Alliance Media together for almost a year now? Uh, either almost or a little more or something, something yeah. around there. Yeah, so uh, so we're happy to be here uh, because uh, this, uh, this whole thing and what you guys are doing is uh, very near and dear to our heart, so... Uh, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad you can be here. Um, and uh, and we're here today. Uh, we've been, we've been talking in and out and all around about different aspects of culture that uh, that we're working that that are we're working at redeeming that uh, that are in need of redemption. Um, yeah, I, I guess once all the areas are done, then we'll retire the podcast. But until then. <laughs> We are. Uh, we're so talking about you should have that wrapped up for season two, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not uh, not <laughs> making long term plans. <laughs> but we thought uh, thought we'd we'd have you guys in, have Joe here today, and just talk about cultural transformation. Zero in on what what do we actually mean by that? Where um, where does it start? What is what what's involved with it? Um, what is what is the end game? As we talk about cultural transformation, I guess maybe the first question is: is why? What? Are, why are we? Why are we working to to reform and transform culture? Is that directed so, to me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, that's where he was looking. So. <laughs> well, as you said, Ryan, we've been running through a number of different areas of culture. Uh, to, to think about what it means to to see them in the light of the fullness of the gospel. 
Um, I think when we pair it right back as to as to why we're really asking a, a foundational question about what is a human being mm-hmm. uh, and uh, why are we here and uh, from a scriptural standpoint human beings are God's image bearers and uh, we've been uh, set within a, a creation that is full of meaning it's meaningful um, because by virtue of the fact that it is created there is a relationship between uh, every aspect of created reality is has been and a relationship between everything has been established by God by virtue of creation and uh, so there is God's uh, word for or his law for creation and then we see the lawfulness of creation or the orderliness of creation as it responds to the word of God and human beings have been set in creation uh, to bear God's image and to reflect God's will and purpose uh, for creation and to work and serve in terms of it and that was the initial uh, mandate that was given to our first parents in the garden of God they are placed in uh, God's garden to work and to serve uh, they were a, a kingly priesthood uh, there to fulfill a mandate to to rule and subdue so i think the uh, when we actually answer the question what is a human being as as god's image bearer uh, we actually see that a human being was made for culture to to take god's the orderliness of god's creation and in terms of the laws and norms that god has established for creation turn creation into a god glorifying kingdom that reflects and manifests his rule and his reign and that fundamentally is what the bible says about um, the human person so it is kind of staggering when you when you get to sort of fast forward to modern evangelicalism and uh, the notion that the, the gospel is about um, saying a prayer so that you can go to heaven as uh, a sort of quite a fundamental disconnect between between you know believing on jesus so i can have a place in heaven Mm -hmm. and actually Mm -hmm. christ who comes as the seed of the woman who's promised right there back in in genesis uh and is manifest as the last adam uh to make us members of a new race a new humanity who are restored to that purpose to be a royal a kingly priesthood in the earth um, which is why, of course, the gospel is set forth to us as the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, the word church is only used, the word ecclesia is only used three times in the gospels. The word basileia for the kingdom is used over a hundred times. So uh, the kingdom of God is what the gospel is actually about. It's about the restoration to that original calling to be human. Jesus is the true man. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And he sets forth what it means to be the culture builder par excellence and it's called the kingdom of god so that's really what we're talking about the rest is detail mm-hmm. it's interesting i think that um you, you know you describe that we've reduced christianity to um you know saying a prayer so we have our kind of ticket to heaven with no regard for what god has created and the everlastingness with which he intended to, to create it and so you know, one of the very simple ways that we kind of try to talk about culture um, at Rebel Alliance is that, you know, God calls us to work with his raw material of creation and to impose his law, right, and his mandates onto it to, you know, create. So 
God created the, the garden and he created, you know, the world and he said that it was very good, not very best, that it was really his image bearers imposing his law on his raw material that was to add to it, to improve upon it. Not that we improve on any of his raw creation, but we take that raw creation and create on top of it and as his image bearers. And so you're, you're just taking his raw material and doing something with it. And, uh, and so the, you know, we talk a lot about, you were asking about the end game, Ryan, what's the end game? And I think every Christian, what, what, what we need to get back to is the very, very fundamental promise. What is God's end game? Well, it's, it's listed a few times, numbers 14 in, in Habakkuk 2, that it's to spread the glory of God across the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's it. So, so you take the raw material of creation, you impose God's law onto it and create on top of his raw material in order that his glory is seen right across the whole globe. And, uh, and I think we've, we've lost that because we have this sort of escapism. We have this sort of, um, I have my ticket to heaven and we've, we've lost the, the kind of permanency with which God created this world. I think, I think, um, you know, whether or not, right, maybe we've got this, these escapist ideas and, and we're not, we don't think we're so concerned about culture building, uh, redeeming different aspects of the culture, right? We have, we all understand this idea of no neutrality. And so we've got the raw material, everybody's going to do something with it. And yeah. so the question yeah. is what and why, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and so what and what and then what's right. the result of that? No, it's uh, it's one of these like inescapable concepts. Like, mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, yeah, a human think... being is a culture maker by right. virtue of creation. Right. It's not a question of are you on board with this culture making agenda? Yeah. You are on board by definition. <laughs> right. You're a yeah. human being. You're making culture. Yeah. So that brings us actually to a really important point because it was really about the connection there with worship that you yeah. that you've made because of course the word culture itself, uh, cult concerns worship so it's it's the way in which we and this is where i think a very important distinction that i often come back to between structure and direction is important is that god has established the structures of creation with creation and they hold right you know there's no breaking the law of gravity that the law of gravity holds for creation universally uh and of course he's imposed certain established certain norms for creation as well but those norms can be violated they, we can turn them in one direction or another so we've got the structures which god has established the issue is only concerns the direction in which we're going to move in those structures of family church state business arts uh, uh, media education law politics etc 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 um, what direction is it going to be uh, true worship a faithful obedient direction or is it going to be rebellion and apostasy and there is that that's the antithesis that's the dichotomy and we're all caught up whether we like it or not uh, in that we don't uh, one way or another we're either going to turn all these aspects of created reality in a godward direction in terms of obedience or will live in those areas of life in terms of disobedience. Mm-hmm. And um, that's basically what it comes down to. And that is, of course, the, 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 a, 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 a biblical understanding of worship. What does worship really mean? Um, wh- where, what are we saying is worth most? And if it's God and his purposes, or is it some idolatrous direction? Well, and I think it's interesting that, so we've all kind of been talking without it, but we're all talking about Genesis and the uh, cultural mandate given to Adam. 
it's interesting that God reestablishes the the uh, cultural mandate to Noah after he promises never again to destroy the earth, right? So he establishes the permanency of the earth, gives the cultural mandate to Noah. And then right after that, in the biblical account, we have the story of man's united rebellion against God in the Tower of Babel. So it's it's the wrong direction, right? As, as you know, Nimrod and, and, uh, and all of the um, I, I think the united rebellion of man and self-deification or, or man-deification um, that's right there at Babel. And, and you have this sort of um, storyline that establishes itself in the biblical narrative that it's always then going to be the rebellion of man and the, the city of man versus the, the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. And that's, that's the whole thing is, like you said, Joe, two directions, right? What are we going to do with the raw material that God's given to us? What direction are we going to go with this thing? It's either going to be self-deification or it's going to be worship of the true living God. And I mean, luckily for us, um, we don't have to guess what the right direction is or how to, you know, like we've, we've been given yeah. God's law word, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've set before you the way of life or the way of death. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> choose for yourself yeah. this day, right? Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> yes, we've not been left with ambiguity on yeah. that score. We have the the creation word of God, we have the incarnate word of God in Jesus Christ, we have the inscripturated word, this forms a unity for us, and so through the lens of scripture we're able to move all of these aspects of creation in the direction that, that God has called us to do. So again, that's one of the baffling things, isn't it, about the modern context uh, in terms of the Christian church, is how we make these things overly complicated and we kind of presume or assert an ambiguity that, that isn't actually there. Uh, as though God has not spoken about these issues or made something plain to us. That's right. And w- would you say then, Joe, um, that... So w- when we're talking about all these things, we're talking about very early um, moments in the biblical narrative that are establishing a storyline, right? The grand narrative of, of history, of, of creation. Um, and... Because we have so many Christians who I think are, are you know, going the way of uh, Andy Stanley and some of these Christians who are attempting to unhitch New Testament Christianity from the Old Testament, in doing so, they're, they're, they're doing it, I think, if I can speak to their motivations, I think they're doing it because they, they want to detach themselves from God's law, right? They want, they, they want to be more inclusive. They're, they're buying the gospel of, of the culture of tolerance. And, um, but in doing so, they also then unhitch themselves from the narrative that sets it all in motion, right? So the minute you, you um, pull yourself away from God's law, at, by, and by doing so, the Old Testament you're actually losing all the building blocks for the grand narrative. And so you've not only abandoned God's law, which is bad enough, but you've also abandoned the narrative that gives you the direction for, for all of life. Mm-hmm. It's and so al- it's then it does the... all become about, I have my ticket to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always the law that, that this, uh, this impulse is to unhitch from. Like, mm-hmm. no, nobody's saying we got to unhitch from Psalm 23. Right. Yeah, no. yeah there, there's a fairly obvious... Um, like, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised in the fairly near future down the road where some of that is, is going to be more clear as to what the intention... Who they're trying to... ...really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you have, um, I think fundamentally, there's a... I mean, of course, there's Marcionite tendencies here, so there's nothing new under the sun yeah. um, to 
tear out you know a vast bulk of the scriptures and say well we, we're only going to have this bit there's a gnostic element there as well uh, where you've got it's a maybe that's a different god some some other being that was involved in the work of creation there um it, it's it's actually it's not just a distancing from god's law it's a distance what it's a distancing um from creation itself and god's law for creation so god's law is not some sort of thing that just gets plopped down into history randomly it's a republication of god's word for all of creation and uh by this is why redemption and creation are unhooked from one another as a result of this it's why you can't uh, you can't move towards recognizing a christian view of law a christian view of politics a christian view of education a christian view of family and so forth and it, that's all left at this lower level uh, and we'll have this higher level and we'll we'll abstract a new christianity up here that's disconnected from creation and god's law for creation so uh in a sense then you just invent a new it's the invention of a new religion it doesn't bear any relationship to the triune god of scripture and the creation fall redemption restoration paradigm that's set forth in scripture for us um and that's why they never talk in terms of christ's lordship in education or politics or anything else because it's just not relevant that's left to some other god to run right that's that comes under some other god uh, our interest is solely our personal blessing our personal benefits our personal salvation even that of course is problematic from a biblical standpoint that salvation is corporate it's covenantal in the man jesus christ it's not some individualistic hey you know i've just uh, uh, like we've got some sort of consumer choice here and individualistically we choose to do this and the church is just some sort of contractarian sort of grouping of people who decide to contract together to believe certain propositions <laughs> this is the kingdom of god it's the covenant of god and we come into that covenant in christ so it's not individualistic even you know uh it's a it's a very it's almost um you know one doesn't like to be too harsh with some of these things you, you want to be generous you want to be gracious but you're almost talking about a different religion that these people are actually preaching it's a different gospel mm -hmm. yeah. well it's absolutely and i think the um you know you nailed it when you said these are kind of gnostic tendencies that are are um infiltrating modern evangelicalism but to, to say that that um, God's law or God's God is not concerned with the physical world I mean it's, that's gnostic to the core and so this 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 idea that God would be disinterested in civil responsibility or in areas of education or vocation and 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 I think you're absolutely right that it's it's the individualism of our culture to say, I want to be who I am at work. So just getting really, really practical, I want to be who I want to be at work and, and you know, at school and wherever. And that's different from who I am and what I am at church. And we've completely separated these realms and we've, we've forgotten that the gospel is for all of life, right? It's, and and it, uh, I think I've heard you say, Joe, uh, it, and it was just a phrase that stuck with me when somebody was kind of um, poking at you for optimistic eschatology, and they said that you have an over-realized eschatology, and your, your rebuttal was that they had an under-realized soteriology, which I thought was a great phrase and always kind of stuck with me, is if the gospel transforms individuals, and if culture is the outworking of the, the inward beliefs of a culture, then all of this transformation we're talking about, it happens one individual at a time, but that one individual 
interacts with the entire world that they're set in completely differently because they're a new creation. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, it's kind of ironic. We, you know, we, we study history and we look at all these different nations and, and uh, groups of people and, and almost without fail, the first thing we do when we look back thousands of years is we look at what their religion was as the basis for understanding who these people are and what they did and why they did it. And yet now all of a sudden we step back and, and we say, well, religion doesn't have anything to do with culture, you know, like that our Christianity doesn't affect our culture, you know, and it's just, it's, uh, it's absurd. It's yeah. silly. Yeah. And I think, Quite honestly, we, we could talk ad, ad nauseum, I think, at how many ways in which um, the, the moral fabric of our culture is decaying. And yet, you know, we still enjoy so many benefits in Canada and in the United States beca- precisely because our Christian, you know, forebears did not believe this. We were still yeah. living yeah. off the momentum that they, cre- that they uh, created in not believing that there's this separation. Um, and thank God that they didn't. Otherwise, where would we be? But, but we're running out of steam. Like it's, we're running on fumes here because um, their efforts are wearing out because there's been a whole generation, now it's several generations really at the turn of the century, several generations now that, uh, that have believed this sort of two kingdom mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so push, yeah, put, right. I'll just uh, I'll open it up to you guys. I just want to call the question, but push that to push that a little bit further like get indulge with me in some some creative speculation what's what does what does our world look like what does southern ontario look like what does Nor- uh, the west look like a generation from now if this if this kind of truncated gospel uh holds and spreads and takes root and if this is if this continues to be the dominant uh worldview inside the Christian church. What, uh, what does that look like for, for our kids and our kids, our children's children? It, I mean, I'm all for speculation. It, it's just that, but is, is bad yeah. Yeah. good enough I mean, answer? It or, be good. I but I think we were talking even before this about uh, a, a quote from Chesterton where he said, if man won't be governed by the 10 commandments, he'll be go- governed by 10,000. And so we live in a culture now that because uh, we have rejected a moral God, and the moral framework with which he's created the world. Um, morality and ethics are up for grabs. They're all subjective. And therefore, the only way we can, um, our, a culture can um, modify behavior is through legal um, uh, regulation. Coercion. In, in Canada, it's, it's kind of an interesting and, and unique, you know, because of our, you know, multiculturalism that we parade around, right? It's, it's just which... Which one of the, this group of you know multiple cultures wins the day and becomes the you know the fifty one percent that? Well, and, yeah. and that's an interesting point because the the reality is, Ryan, that there are other religions, um, you know, really? Islam being one of them. Well, and I just mean <laughs> other religions that don't believe a truncated gospel of their own, right? right. Every, yeah. yeah. The truth is, every every faithful Muslim is a post millennial, post millennialist. They believe that they will win this world, this physical world. They don't believe in an escapism. 
And so we are, um, we are losing our identity as Christians. And the very thing that we can combat this false gospel with, um, we've surrendered, right? We, we've surrendered that. And, and you would have a whole lot of Christians who just believe, well, we're, we're not going to be here. We're going to escape it. We're going to be raptured away. And, and uh, so what happens here doesn't matter. So, so you know, you're, you're asking what's it going to look like in a few years? Well, you know, how bad have social issues like abortion, how bad has that gotten over the last couple of years? I mean, how many kids are being aborted? It's been 60 million in, in America since Roe v. Wade. And um, we have Christians who are fighting abortion without the mentality that they can win, yeah. right? There's no actual end game in sight because most of them do not believe that it will be beaten. And so all of the things in culture that we're looking at right now and saying, isn't it bad that this is on the rise? Fast forward however long you want, those things will will be exponentially worse because um, we have Christians, the Christians who are fighting them generally have a worldview that lends itself to defeat. And you could just, I mean, you just picture your favorite war movie or picture, you know, William Wilberforce or, or sorry, uh, William Wallace. William Wallace. Um, you know, Both are out. He was fighting, his own, he was fighting his own war. But uh, yeah, William Wallace, just picture him sitting there and, and giving his big speech saying, you know, we're all going to die. We cannot win this battle, but let's go fight anyway, right? This, it's not going to stir the troops very well. And that's, and that's how we've been encouraging people to get into the fight well, for things maybe, like abortion. Maybe we're all going to die and let's go fight. Um, but then he'll also, you know, and it's all for nothing. Yeah. Right? It's fine, it's fine to go out and fight and die when, if you know you're your your death is going to accomplish something but you know yeah. you know we're, yeah. we're trying to make the argument that that it's there's nothing even to accomplish right you know, god loves you and has a wonderful plan for your death yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little while back at the 150th anniversary of canada uh, i wrote an article called lament for a nation in which i analyzed the thought of uh, george grant who was a canadian conservative philosopher considered by many a Christian. Um, and um, I, I talked about the fact that one of the things that um, is very, very clear when you, you, you mentioned, Nate, that, um, you know, we're living off the benefits of, of the past, of things that we actually no longer believe, um, and yet we're still benefiting from it. What you actually saw there historically was a, a secularization in the with the with the so-called enlightenment a secularization of the christian story so we wanted to retain the idea of progress of you know of moral progress of of um of cultural and technological progress uh, and it was grounded actually in the, the the very notion and actually grant is critical of this right he grant is hostile to the idea of a creator of a of uh, and of the biblical worldview I, I, ironically he was it's, it's ironic that he was referred to as a christian because he actually was hostile to the notion his grandfather was uh was also george grant was he not the presbyterian he's a liberal minister yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he came from a family of liberal um, churchmen um but he was hostile to the notion of creation for the very reason that the god of the bible creates and forms things and then has a purpose for history for the development of his kingdom and he said that you know the western world took this on 
and so he was critical of this drive for progress you refer to the blessings well i'm sure that some of the blessings you're referring to are things like clean water electricity uh you know uh, transportation and all of these things that have made our lives um much more tolerable infant mortality the, the length of the time that we live on this planet has all been radically increased by a set of christian assumptions about the world and what's happened in the West is that there's been an attempt to, in terms of this picture of the future, is to radically secularize that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and to uh, just remove God from the picture, to want all the benefits of, of creation and a movement from um, rebellion and disobedience and curse and judgment to paradise, but without Christ and without the gospel. And, and, so, and what's actually happened, we've, we've gone a step further now beyond the sort of Marxist secularization or neo-Marxist secularization of the plan of salvation to almost a death wish where we've recognized and, and I think um, Grant had no real answer to this he looked at the progress and he especially looked at the United States and he considered the US to be the sort of technological progress the progress oriented culture par excellence was critical of that yeah. um but he had he had no answer to what a human being is supposed to do then with creation if they're not to form it. So, again, the structure and direction in Grant was confused. Yeah. Um, and now what you've got in terms of the, the prophecies about the future, because all philosophy, all worldviews, all political doctrines are prophecy. They're prophecy about the nature of the future. Well, you only have to look at the Green New Deal of um, Cortez mm. down, mm. Uh, down, and you know, let's get rid of airplanes. Let's uh, kill some you know, cows. Yeah. yeah, because of cow flatulence, yeah. and uh, uh, let's have you know, essentially zero population growth, zero economic growth, and return everybody to um, working with sticks and uh, farming in their on their in their back gardens. Yeah. Um, with, with probably without electricity and a refrigerator yeah right? so, yeah get everyone back to their 40 acres and a mule and stay there exactly yeah and the notion that you could have that i mean the, the the world in the last 60 years much of the world has been pulled out of poverty mm -hmm. um and and has seen life expectancy increases and so forth because of despite it being secularized a christian vision of the cultural mandate now, that's being rebelled against now, strongly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, we're all for, because we believe in the cultural mandate, the proper care for creation. Uh, a proper use of not raping creation, but managing creation in a godly way. Stewardship. Yeah. That's, it should, and that, we need to redeem a biblical vision of creation stewardship over and against this radical death cult that we're surrounded by, which wants abortion on, on demand. It wants to kill the elderly, euthanize the sick and the elderly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, destroy the economy and provide universal salvation for everyone in terms of um, uh, medical care or whatever else it may be that somehow is going to get paid for without any productive work going on yeah without yeah. any travel bernie uh, yeah, bernie right? sanders it's free it's all it's free. all free, it's all free. Just, <laughs> everything's free right so they want to emerge into a stateless paradise yeah. into a workless yeah. paradise where as Mark said, you know, we're sort of doing literary criticism in the afternoon and, uh, and um, um, making love and, you know, practicing all kinds of sexual uh, deviance, you know, 
whenever and wherever. As, and that's our lifestyle, pornography, entertainment, and, and literary criticism. But mm-hmm. who's actually paying for the food? I mean, who's yeah. doing the work to actually yeah. generate this food? So, so the answer, in my view, is that our culture will de- continue to decline economically, socially, morally, uh, to the point where our civilization is collapsing unless... Because God's laws and norms, in the end, you, there is a cost to trying to... You can't violate God's laws for the, the natural world. And if you violate his norms for the historical, ethical, cultural, moral life of man, the faith life of man, he will destroy himself. So you only have to look at Venezuela to get a prophecy about what uh, Canada might look like several generations from now if we do not retrace our steps into a biblical world and life view. Hmm. That is inescapably where things are headed, unless there is a, a, is a anti-revolutionary party, an anti-revolutionary movement of a Groen van Prinsterer or Abraham Kuyper that says, no, we have to actually uh, live in terms of God's commands, otherwise we destroy ourselves. Now, some people, you, you say that you tell that to them, and some of these radicals, they want that. They yeah. think that humanity yeah. should be wiped off the planet as the only salvation of the planet. We're a virus infesting it. Yeah. So you've got that extreme on the one hand, and then you've got a sort of different degrees of revolutionary thinking between that is the extreme end and basically um, having us all living in caves, working with sticks in the back garden, uh, you know, the, uh, the other. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you then, Joe, like, what, so... Um, C.S. Lewis was fond of talking about the um, imputation of uh, Christ's righteousness to us and, and our sin to him as the, the great exchange. So you're talking about a similar, but I would say tragic exchange, where the secularists, the pagans, have co-opted an um, optimistic view of progress, of gospel progress. Of course, they don't believe in the, the, the Christ of the gospel or the Christian gospel, but they've co-opted our optimism about the way in which humans can progress on the earth. And we're talking about the decline that Christians no longer believe that. Where and when did that exchange happen? <laughs> when did the secularists co-opt our worldview? And when did we lose our idea of um, the fact that the gospel can actually make progress in the culture? Where did that exchange happen? Well, of course, it has a very ancient, you've already pointed to the Tower of Babel. I mean, the idea of it goes a very, very long way back. And then yep. if you just, you know, open up Plato's Republic, you see there a utopian vision right. that would uh, replace the kingdom mm-hmm. of God with man's idea of progress and leadership of philosopher kings of elites who will rule and govern the culture and take it forward. But I think in terms of secularism, which is our present situation, which is sub, which is related to but different from ancient paganism. It's a kind of pagan secularity. Uh, you'd have to really look at the beginning in the Renaissance and then developed in the Enlightenment, um, where man sees himself as now autonomous, and uh, he is going to, in terms of philosophy, we talk about nominalism, where man is now going to impose. You talked about it earlier, his law, his idea on the world. He's independent from God. And so he's going to impose his, his vision of what history and reality is going to look like. And then the French Revolution was the first great political experiment of that, right. 
rooted in the thinking of Rousseau, who, by the way, talked about, idealised the noble savage. He hated mm-hmm. the idea of Christian civilization. He hated the idea of civilization. period. Right. For him, marriage itself, family, these were constraints, civilizational constraints uh, that held people in chains. He said man was born free as a noble savage, but everywhere he is in chains. In other words, Christianity has enchained him to these laws and norms and structures, and we want to be. We need to shatter those chains, and let's restart the the French Revolution. As you'll recall, restarted history from their revolution from the New Year Zero. They wanted to abolish the the idea of a working week, uh, Sabbath rest, which of course has proven impossible. The Soviets tried that as well. Um, and they wanted to, in a sense, start all over again. Let's enthrone reason at Notre Dame. Let's worship man's reason as a goddess, uh, as a god, essentially. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where you saw the beginnings of the idea of secularizing the progress to restoration and redemption, the renewal of paradise. You recall that Jesus at the cross, he says to the thief on the cross, this is a passage that has been very misread over the years, as though he's just saying, you know, see you in heaven in a minute. That's not what <laughs> Jesus is saying. Um, he, he's there as the second Adam. And he says, um, surely, I, because he's about to say it is finished. What's finished? The path to the restoration of creation for the, for the as Paul puts it in Romans 8, for the undoing of that curse on creation, of the, the um, liberation of creation from its bondage to decay. That path has, has now opened up. It's finished. It's done. Uh, and so he says, today um, you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise, the paradise of God. This is about, the Jesus is talking about now the restoration. Today I've opened up the way to the restoration of the paradise of God. Now secular man, he says, well, we know we need that. I, so he doesn't eliminate paradise. He merely transfers the concept. Makes he makes a new path, right? So he's got to he's got to take uh, the the word of truth, the kingdom of God. He's got to secularize all of those and transfer the sovereign word and law from God to man. And uh, he does that in this secular paradigm by taking that our story and just trying to remove God from it. But the more he removes God and his word from that, the more perverted his path right. to paradise becomes. To the point where he wants to reject all responsible work. For him, work is part of the chains, right? right? The Bible doesn't see work as a chain for us that's robbing us of our freedom. It sees it as the, the glory of man to, as you said earlier, to turn creation, the, 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 well, the materials of creation into a God-glorifying culture. Right. He doesn't want that. He wants, to be a, uh, he wants to be a primitive. He wants to be a savage. He wants uh, sexual libertinism. He wants a world of paradise without any responsibility, any work, any obligation, any law, any norm that he's bound by. And of course, that is a wilderness of uh, emptiness. It's a desert. Mm. It's a desert. That's what man wants is what he will be is leaving for himself. It's why everywhere Marxism goes, all of these utopian dreams turn everywhere they go into hell scorched earth, scorched yeah. earth they turn yeah. it into hell yeah. not not heaven right. not the kingdom of heaven mm. so that it was the is the enlightenment and the french revolution where this sort of self the, a developed self-consciousness of radical autonomy began mm. and uh, or at least became much more self-conscious in its application before that you had the corpus christianum you had the the, the sort of broadly christianized 
uh, West, Western world, that it imported ideas from Greece and Rome, Christianized them, but it was still at least trying to maintain a relationship between nature and grace. It hadn't destroyed that artificial division, right. and it is an artificial division, but it at least tried to relate them and said, well, look, grace brings nature to some kind of perfection by the super addition of adding some grace on top. You know, you need faith and grace. The state will perfect you in terms of your moral perfection, but grace can take you to eternal bliss. And so there was an attempt at least to say, hey, the Pope needs to appoint the emperor and hey, you need to be respectful of the churches, the, the realm of grace, which is superior. You need to be respectful of this. And here it's going to at least touch upon your world. They at least tried to relate the two. Mm. The modern evangelical has given into the false secular sacred dichotomy. They said, okay, yes, let the world go its own way, and, but we're going to heaven. Right. And has surrendered that and said, no, we're not going to uh, challenge that false prophecy about the nature of the world and the direction of history. We'll let them have that. And in fact, we'll participate in it. But we're just going to glue some grace on top here for us so that we go to heaven. You can see how radically distorted and non-reformational that actually is. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.